Okay, so the, the reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to chapter 2, verse 10, which is page 1168 in the, in the church Bibles. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report The man who has formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important... Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at my work, at work in my ministry, as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John... Those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're near the start of a series of talks on the book of Galatians. So it's just the second one. And we're going to go right through the book. And uh, as we saw last week, if you were here for the introduction, it's important that we study this carefully because it was a significant book when Paul wrote it and it's still significant for us today. So let's see if we can hear from God speaking to us today. Let me pray that we do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for this letter to the Galatians. 
Please open our eyes to see clearly what Paul wrote. And please help us understand the importance then and the importance to us today. Amen. Well, by way of introduction, uh, I shall cover a brief recap of what Tim covered last week. And then I want to show you why Paul's gospel is the only gospel. There is no other. Then, what Paul says about his life, his Christian story. He gives us a little talk about his life that supports what he's saying about the gospel. And finally, why we must take this gospel, Paul's gospel, as gospel. Now in Galatians 1, 6, if you want to flip back to that, Paul says, I am astonished. Paul is shocked. He's stunned. He's dismayed. It doesn't make any sense. He simply can't believe it. How is it possible that you have abandoned God and the gospel that he called you to for another version? Another version of the good news which is not good news at all. You've turned to a fake gospel that is so dangerous that even if an angel from heaven brought it to you, then they should be cursed. Let them go to hell. Anyone who brings another gospel at odds with the one that you received, then let them be cursed, he says in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Now, if you get the feeling that Paul is more than a little upset about this, then you'll be right. He was so upset with them for abandoning the gospel that he has nothing good to say about them as an introduction in his letters, in this letter. All these other letters say something kind, something good to commend the churches, but in this one, nothing. He gets straight to the reason for writing to them. They had abandoned the true gospel for a false one that wasn't good news at all. Now, if Paul was trying to earn his living as an influencer, I don't think this is the way to go about it. But Paul wasn't interested in pleasing men. In verse 10, he says, If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul serves his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to tell them why he lives the way that he does, by giving, him, giving them his testimony, his Christian story. I think it's always a good exercise to do, to write down how you became a Christian, how you came to faith yourself, your Christian story. If you haven't done that before, then why not spend an hour this week doing that? There's nothing quite as good as when you're trying to explain the Christian faith to somebody else. Tell them how it was that you yourself came to faith. Why not practice telling it to someone in your home uh, until it becomes second nature and then you can just talk about how you became a Christian. My story starts when I was a child in Sunday school and I found it was rubbish and I left. Yours might be earlier than that. Or, or maybe it starts as you're a teenager and you're just thinking about what the important things in life are. Or for some of the older members, maybe even after your teens, you came to faith. But whatever... Whatever, wherever your story starts, 
I doubt it'll be anything like Paul's story that he tells us here. Maybe you don't know what, what, a, what I'm talking about with a Christian story. You're still looking into the Christian faith. And you want to see, is there anything true in it? Is it going to make a difference in my life? For where I, how I live my life, as Aaron was talking about earlier, and where I'm going to spend eternity. Well, if that's you, then I hope that as we look at Paul's, what he writes here today, it'll help you take a few steps towards finding that Jesus is alive and he wants you to follow him. Well, that was the introduction and the little recap from last week. So let's look at today's passage, starting at verse 11, as we ask the first question, why Paul's gospel is the only gospel? There is no other. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers or brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. It's not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. You may be aware that after the Gospels and the book of Acts, Paul is responsible for most of the writing in the New Testament. And most of the book of Acts itself is the story of Paul and his missionary journeys. But some people have tried to belittle Paul's teaching. They don't like what he says. And they say he's not a proper apostle because he got all his teaching secondhand. So you can ignore what Paul wrote and just go straight to the Gospels and listen to what Jesus said. Paul says, you couldn't be further from the truth. Verse 12, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. There's no difference between the good news of Jesus and the good news that Paul gives us. It is in complete harmony. Don't let anyone try to confuse you. But there were false teachers who had managed to confuse the Galatians. And this is what they were saying. You can't believe what Paul is saying because he's left something important out. He tells you to believe in Jesus, but he's left out one important step. You see, Jesus was a Jew, and the 12 apostles were Jews as well, and they were all circumcised. And if you don't get circumcised, you can't fully become a member of the people of God. That sounds like a simple little thing in itself. Why make all this fuss about a little operation that's over in a few minutes? And if these people are saying that's all you need to do, then why not submit to it? But Paul says this, if you submit to this one little operation, you're actually changing the whole of the Christian religion. You're changing it from a religion of believing to a religion of achieving. You're changing it from a religion that puts its trust in what the Lord does for you to a religion that puts its trust in what you do for the Lord. And that's a totally different religion. Because circumcision will lead you to the law and the law will lead you to bondage. And you'll go right back to the religion of trying hard to be good enough to get to heaven. And that's a miserable religion because the harder you try, the further away you seem to get the further off you are. 
Now, which religion are you going to have, says Paul? The religion of circumcision and the law, in which you try and try and try, but you never quite get there. And it's sheer bondage. And it's, you can't do this, you shall not do that all the time. Or the religion that Jesus says, put your trust wholly in me. It's what I'm going to do in you that matters. Not what you do for me. Do you see, it's a totally different religion. And so in saying there's just one little thing that Paul missed out, circumcision, they were actually turning the gospel upside down. And Paul said it was heresy. But sadly, it's the religion of 90% of the people in this country. Do your best. But Paul came with a gospel of freedom, of liberty and of truth that sets people free and says, now it's the Lord who will get you to heaven, not you. It's the Lord you can trust, not yourself. And when you trust in him, you discover how good he is. Not how bad you are, but how good he is. That's the difference. And his goodness replaces your attempt at goodness. And when, at that final day, you stand before God, you don't present your own good deeds and say, Lord, I did this. I did that. Look what I've achieved in my life. No, you stand before God and you present the good deeds of Jesus that he accomplished in your place. And you offer his goodness. And that's what gets you in. Well, in support of Paul's argument, he he brings up two simple facts. Firstly, I'm going to prove to you by the events of my life that on the one hand, I didn't get my gospel from anybody else. I didn't get it from the apostles. But on the other hand, I'm going to prove to you that those apostles agreed with my gospel. I got it independently, but it was not different. I got it direct, but it was the same as the one that they preached. So let's look at what Paul says about his Christian story, about his life. Where does he start his Christian story? If you look at verse 13, he goes straight to his sinful life. You might decide to do the same with your story, as I did by dropping out of Sunday school at a young age. Although not many of you will confess that you persecuted the followers of Jesus, leading to their imprisonment and death. There are people today who can confess that. But then he goes back further in verse 15. How many of you start your story saying that God called you to the ministry from birth or even in the womb. I think it's significant that he starts before his circumcision, before any human religious practice had taken place. God had set him apart to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul wants them to know that this is God's work, not his work, nor the other apostles' work, but Jesus himself taught Paul all that he knew And he passed it on. And when did this happen? 
Where did this happen? In verses 17 to 21, it was during his three years in Arabia and Damascus, followed by just over a fortnight that he spent with Peter, and then another 14 years in Syria and Cilicia. And then notice what he says about the gospel message in verse 2 of chapter 2. Paul was told by the Lord to present his gospel for the Gentiles to the apostles who were working in Jerusalem. And his master stroke was to take with him an uncircumcised Gentile called Titus. And this would make sure that they were completely happy with his gospel message, which says you don't need to be circumcised to be a true follower of Jesus. But there were people in the church that openly opposed this message. And he had to be firm about this. He didn't budge a millimeter. In verse 5, this is too important. And in verse 6, the Jerusalem leaders had nothing to add to Paul's gospel message. But they fully endorsed what Paul said and agreed that he should take the gospel to the Gentiles, those people who weren't circumcised, and they would continue to work with the Jews, those who were circumcised. The only thing they were worried about was not the gospel message, but the fact that the Jewish, the Jewish church was suffering at the time from a famine. And so Paul, who already knew this, was pleased to raise some money for them. Paul's story might be quite a bit different from yours. It was the story of how he received the gospel directly from Jesus and had it verified by the apostles. Anyone suggesting that Paul's gospel was different from the gospel that Jesus or the disciples taught was leading them astray. And next week we'll see that this story continues as Paul continues to explain the difference between the gospel of freedom and Jewish customs. But let's finish by asking why we must take Paul's gospel as gospel. Have you had one of those serious chats? Do you find some time you can get alongside a friend who doesn't know Jesus and you can ask them some questions, some important questions? Well, how about this one? Could you ask them this one? On what do you base your faith for the future? On what grounds do you hope to have a better life after this one? That is, if there is life after this one. Now, I think most people would say something like, well, I've never done anyone any harm. I support charitable causes and... I've tried to live a good life. And that's the false gospel that Paul was so upset about. It's not good news at all. It's a cursed gospel. But we must ask ourselves, where did it come from? Where on earth did our friends get that idea from? And the painful answer for those of us who know the true gospel is, they got it from church. They got it from watching songs of praise, from religious education at school, from religious leaders on TV, even from those who profess to be Christians. Paul had to fight for the true gospel in the first century, 
And we still do. There is only one gospel. But people have picked up the idea from us that they have to try and keep the commandments and try and be good. We just didn't seem to make it clear to them. So maybe we need to stop and think and pray about how we can explain the gospel clearly, like Paul did. But let me finish with this question. Did you ask yourself, why were the people in Galatia so happy to accept bad news? A gospel which wasn't a gospel at all. And the answer, I think, is quite simple. It's because the false gospel allows you to keep your pride. Many false gospels have this at the heart. The prosperity gospel that promises to reward you for paying large sums of money to their ministry. If I can save myself by doing good, by giving money, then I can be proud of it. Now Paul, as a proud Pharisee, had tried to keep the law to get to heaven by his own efforts. But when he met Jesus, he discovered that the gospel of free grace says, you're a sinner. And you've got to come on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And human pride doesn't like that. Jesus explained how pride is so destructive by telling the story of two men who went to the temple. One of them was quite something. He had a great reputation. And he stood at the front and he said, Lord, I'm glad that I'm not like other people. I give lots of money to the temple. Just look at that poor chap at the back. I'm glad I'm not like him. But that poor man at the back of the church said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was the man at the back that got right with God that morning and went home justified. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel story. But we don't like it. Our pride says, no, I can do good myself. I'll make it under my own efforts. I'll pay my own debts. Thank you. Well, the gospel of free grace humbles you. It says you'll never save yourself. God needs to save you. And he has a plan to do that. He sent Jesus Christ, who gave himself for your sins. And he brought him back to life from the dead so that you could be rescued from the inevitable disaster that you're heading for if you think you can do it on your own. That defiance that I see in a little toddler who says, I can do it, which is charming in a three-year-old who's trying to ride a bike and wobbles along and then falls off or spills their dinner all down their front and on the carpet. Charming. But it's deadly for those of us who think we can approach God on our own terms. The gospel of grace gives us a gift. It's something we can never earn for ourselves by trying harder. We receive peace with God and total harmony in our lives. That's gospel freedom. And may anybody who preaches a gospel other than that be under God's curse, as Paul says in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 
Let me pray. Oh Jesus, your gospel sets us free because we can never save ourselves. Deliver us from the false gospel that we can achieve something towards our salvation ourselves. Thank you that you came to this earth to show us what life is meant to be and you gave up that life in order that we may receive forgiveness as you died for us. And then you rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And Lord, one day we can be with you and see you face to face. And in the new creation, we can meet up with Paul and thank him for his clear teaching in all the letters that he wrote. But until that day, Lord, will you show us how we can tell our friends, our family, our mates, neighbours, and even those who hate this gospel, how we can explain to them the greatness of the true gospel, Paul's gospel of grace, your gospel of grace, the only gospel of grace. Amen. So again, for engaging with this process, I always think, you know, surely you've run out of steam, uh, but you ask excellent questions, so thank you very much. I'm going to go with the one that's got the top votes. Um, how can we show that we're dependent on Christ and not our good works when people see us doing things that they think are religious? That's a good question. Thank you for that. It is a good question. Um, I think what people see in us uh, is often not the truth. They might see things that they think are religious, but if we are living for Jesus by the power of the Spirit, um, eventually they'll see that that is, the, that is what motivates us. Uh, another thing I'd say is just try not to be religious. <laughs> you know, why... Why would you want to be religious? Uh, let's, let's, let's enjoy the life that God's given us. And sometimes religion is not the life that Jesus called us to. It's to be full of joy and love and caring for people, and reaching out. And if people see that as being religious, then okay, great. That's what, that's what Christianity is. But if they see us doing odd things, um, then maybe we shouldn't do those odd things. Thank you. And just to go back to the point you were saying in the sermon, actually, Jesus gives us an example of this. I think you were saying in the tax collector and the Pharisee, that it's the Pharisee who looks the part, the tax collector looks awful, but actually Jesus says it's the tax collector who's justified, and the difference is their attitude, I guess. The difference is the heart, isn't yeah. it? The heart, the man who is proud of his religious observance stands at the front and uh, says, I do all these great things, whereas the the chap at the back who is penitent and says, Lord, be mercy, merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, that's the difference, isn't it, between true religion that is, uh, that is towards God and uh, a false religion that is kind of just thinking I can do it all myself. Really helpful. Thanks, Mike. Um, another easy one for you. Verse 15, is this suggesting Paul was predestined to become a Christian and serve God or an acknowledgement that God desires everyone to come to know him, no matter their background. Oh, what a lovely question. Thank you for that. <laughs> Predestination and uh, free will. Um, yes, that's very easy. Yes, the answer is both. 
yes, Paul was called to become a Christian. That was uh, what, job, what uh, God called him to before he was born. Did he have a choice? Well, I guess he did. But uh, that's predestination and free will, and uh, I'm really not an expert. Rob will tell you all about it later on, I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> there were some talks on Romans, if that genuinely is a thing, there were some talks on Romans 9 to 11 uh, a couple of years ago now. Uh, they're on the website. They'll be good to download and think about and ask Mike any questions off the back of those. Um, thank you. Um, how can we show... Oh, sorry, we had that one. If it doesn't matter what good deeds we do, uh, but, but it matters... Oh, hang on, let me say that again. If, if it doesn't matter what good deeds we do, uh, as Jesus, by dying for us, has done everything that we need to do, what should be our motivation... Uh, be to go out of our way to help others and do good. So if, it, if, if it's Jesus and not religion, uh, what should our motivation be? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a question that a while ago was quite confusing for me, but uh, I think I've understood that one now. That uh, If it was all about just being saved, and once you're saved, um, you don't have to do anything else, um, then why doesn't God just kind of teleport us up to heaven uh, and, uh, and we don't have to live out the rest of our lives? But no, he wants us to show that this is true, the gospel is true because he wants all men to come to himself. So the motivation for us doing things uh, is just because Jesus has changed our heart. He's changed us from the inside. And so we're going to be reaching out to people because we can't help it. It's just natural as... Jesus has come into our hearts. He's changed us from being self-centered to begin to see things as he sees them. And so we're bound to be reaching out to others. Really helpful. Um, just finally, there's a question here uh, about the law. Paul says we're no, un- no longer under the law. So what should we do with all the laws in the Old Testament? If all scripture is God-breathed, do we disregard the commandments? Uh, no, we don't. No, as we, you'll see this later on as we go through Galatians. Let me just um, point you to page 32 of your brochures, if you've got of your uh, scripture journals. And Paul says uh, in Galatians 6 and verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So Paul doesn't say that we can ignore all the good things that we are taught in the Bible. Uh, The laws, the moral laws still continue. But we, we can do them with a changed heart. Worth just saying that we're going to come back to this question over the coming weeks. Um, we're only two talks in. The next talk gets a lot more knotty on this question about law and gospel and how the two relate. Um, it's worth just saying it's not an easy uh, thing. The church has wrestled with it for many centuries, uh, but hopefully over the next few weeks we will uh, be coming to a greater understanding of that. But um, So do come back next week and the week after and the week after that. Mike, um, thank you so much. Um, this is more of a statement I thought I'd just share. Uh, a non-religious Christian is what I was always told to aim to be. Religion is rules. Christianity is a relationship with God. Mind-blowing 
exclamation mark. I don't know what to say to that. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people who's a non-conformist. I just, uh, I'd much rather it's something that from the heart rather than following kind of some religious rules and things. So, but that's me. I, I tend to be a rebellion. That's why I dropped out of Sunday school when I was about six. Um, yeah. But that's not a good thing, is it? <laughs> it's not good if the Sunday school is any good, but the one I dropped out of, I think it was a good thing that I dropped out of yeah, it because yeah. it probably was just teaching me the false gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. If it's teaching Jesus, keep, keep with it. Uh, so thanks, Mike, very much. And thank you all for your questions. Uh, we're going